Hey, guy who always hits it to the right, here's the truth. You don't need to change your swing to get more distance. You just need the Callaway Big Bertha B21 to help straighten out the distance you already have. The new Big Bertha driver is built to reduce side spin and straighten out your drives. And the irons are so forgiving, you can practically hit them anywhere in the face and the ball just launches. This is distance any way you swing it. Unlock your inner distance today at callawaygolf.ca slash Big Bertha. If you drive around Toronto and other big cities in Canada today, you're likely to see tents in parks. They've been accumulating in number in recent months, and they're signs of the economic pain that the pandemic has inflicted on Canadians. On this week's episode of Down to Business, I interviewed Pedro Antunes, chief economist of the Conference Board of Canada, about the speed and quality of Canada's economic recovery. The latest StatsCan data showed that in the second quarter, gross domestic product in Canada plunged by 12%, the biggest drop on record. And at the same time, Antunes told me that 2020 is actually set to be a good year for growth and disposable income. These two conflicting pieces of data show how this recession is anything but normal. And we also don't have great data on who's being hurt the most. Antunes raised questions about whether a better wage subsidy program in Canada would have kept more people in the workforce. Regardless, we're not out of the woods yet. There's still questions about what's going to happen in the U.S., which is both a major trading partner and a driver of global growth, and where they continued to face coronavirus outbreaks late into the summer. And Antunes said there's the prospect of mass business failures in the next few months, for which he's advocating a better wage subsidy program. All in all, the situation provides a chance to rethink some of the ways we do things at the very least, he said. Pedro, thank you so much for joining me on Down to Business. It's wonderful to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate your interest. So Statistics Canada just gave us the news about the second quarter, and it looks like GDP plunged by what is clearly the most ever. At the same time, we also saw that disposable income in households surged on on government transfers from things like unemployment payments and CURB and other programs. When when you look out ahead, what does this tell you about the speed and the quality of Canada's economic recovery? Well, it's actually phenomenal that we're seeing a recession year. In fact, this year, for the year as a whole, uh, we're looking at things about an 8% decline in real economic activity. And when we think about real economic activity, it's essentially income earned from people working, their wage uh, and uh, labor income, and it's profits for businesses. So imagine and such a substantial decline in economic activity this year. However, when we look at disposable income, which is essentially after taxes and transfers, uh, we're actually going to see a record year in terms of growth in, in after-tax disposable income. So it's, it's really a very atypical recession in that sense because the support programs have come in quickly and help maintain household income. I think the big question mark, if I might going forward, is will households really spend all that income? We have seen a rebound in spending, but will that continue through the rest of the year? And what consumer confidence is telling us is that people are now worried about these income support programs as we transition from the uh, CURB or the CERB uh, to uh, EI or to other uh, programs. People are just not feeling as confident. And so we may not see consumer spending uh, continue its, its recovery uh, and the other thing is, of course, that we're in a bumpy uh, environment because of the COVID-19 virus still being very much a health threat. So that's going to keep the economy from really fully 
uh, growing at least until that's fully behind us. And we, we think that that's not until uh, at least a year down the road. So there's a lot to unpack in what you just told me. But if consumer confidence is somewhat hinged upon these government transfers continuing, is it possible to keep these in place until more jobs come back? Well, that's a really good question, is that as to what are the best policy measures going forward to ensure that we, uh, we, we keep the economy growing? And this is something that we have looked at at the, at the conference board in a little more detail. Essentially, we do feel that a more successful strategy perhaps going forward would be more focused on a wage subsidy program. Uh, We have seen examples of the wage subsidy rather than the transfers to persons like we have here in Canada. Many countries in Europe have opted to really focus in on the the wage subsidies, and that has prevented big increases in unemployment in some of these countries in comparison to what we lived here in Canada. Uh, Nonetheless, we we did shut down the economy uh, in March and April, did decide to support incomes through the, the direct support from government to persons. It's still a very opportune time now to refocus and, uh, and focus in on the wage subsidy. And the reason we're saying that is for uh, many, many businesses in Canada, they are going to be operating in an environment that is more costly in terms of meeting the safety guidelines that COVID-19 is imposing. It's going to be more costly in the sense that they're not going to be op- able to operate at full capacity. We want them to be profitable and to continue to operate and to do so you know, a wage subsidy program would fit in well, get firms to essentially rehire. That will help bolster consumer confidence because we know consumers right now are worried about the end of the support program. And if consumers are feeling better about their income and their employment and and security, uh, we know that that tends to drive the consumer spending with the income that is already there. Just to back up a minute, correct me if I'm wrong about this, but the government of Canada elected not to go with wage transfers because all businesses shut down, so no one was getting paid any wages. Was that the primary motivation for not going with wage transfers originally? Yeah, there was a wage uh, subsidy program implemented early on, but you're absolutely right. There was very little take-up early on, and there were uh, two reasons we've heard from businesses. Of course, one of them was that when you fully shut down the economy, uh, and you're not selling anything, even if your wages are subsidized to 75%, it's, it's not going to help you to open. It's not going to help you to take on that program. So for sure, during the full shutdown of the economy, uh, the program was not going to see the, the take-up. However, since the economy has started to reopen, I think there have been some hindrances, hindrances in terms of take-up of the wage subsidy, and I think the government is addressing some of those. For one, we've extended the wage subsidy program now to the fall, We've also, uh, I think, made it a little easier to access uh, some of the programs. The restrictions were, were quite uh, hard in terms of you had to have a significant portion of your revenues being hit to, to be able to apply. But now we're seeing, I think, a, a greater pickup, and I think the emphasis will be there, and we may see more, how should I say, adjustments to the program to make it easier for firms to, to apply to it. So this is what we heard from the firms in addition to, uh, to the shutdown as to why the program wasn't an immediate success. But we do think that over the next six months, this, 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 or even a year, this period where we haven't found a treatment or, or a vaccine for, for COVID-19, this is going to be something that's necessary for business, for many businesses. 
You mentioned earlier that there are wage subsidy programs in certain European countries that have worked better than what we had here in Canada. Can you just explain what some of the differences were? Well, I think there were fewer options, essentially. Uh, and the focus had been, rather than on uh, getting transfers directly from governments to households, which is uh, what the CERB program is doing, those programs focus much more on maintaining household income by pushing the subsidies essentially through firms, through, through companies. And what that did was essentially force companies, well, they could only obviously get the wage subsidies if they kept their staff, their employment, and their employees. And a lot of them did keep their employees even through the full shutdown. It was essentially just a different concept around the support program early on. Yeah. This may be a little bit outside of what you've written in some of your reports, but I can't help thinking every time I talk to an economist and we, and I hear new information about GDP levels or, you know, real economic activity. In my neighborhood, I live in Toronto, in a lot of the parks and a lot of patches of green, you see tents with people camping in them where you'd never have seen them before. And it does feel that a lot of people, regardless of what sort of GDP returns to, have been pushed to a new level of poverty by this economic crisis. And I'm wondering if you've seen any data or have any sense about how bad this crisis is just in terms of pushing people out of the economy, maybe pushing them out of the workforce, or, or just really hurting some families? Well, uh, uh, that's an interesting point, uh, because on an aggregate basis, as we just discussed, you know, household uh, after-tax income has grown strongly this year. In fact, it's going to be a, a fairly, I, I, I won't use the word record year, but it'll be a fairly strong year historically in terms of overall incomes for households. There's no doubt, of, of course, uh, that COVID-19 will affect some households, will affect some households very negatively. There's no doubt at all. The share uh, of how that income is, is split in terms of the losses versus the gains is hard to get at, and often we don't get that kind of information until a few years down the road before we have all, all of the info. You know, we can only speculate. I do know that uh, where we've seen the job losses thus far, it has been in uh, a lot of occupations that are lower income. So, for example, in March and April, we know that roughly a third of the job losses were in occupations that earn less than half the median income. So the median income in Canada uh, is about about $1,000 a week. So we're talking about uh, occupations that are at around or below $500 a week. Now, if, if people in those occupations are not able or did not apply for the support programs that were in place, then obviously we're going to see uh, some, some dramatic impacts. I see. With everything that's going on right now with the virus down in the U.S., with new outbreaks occurring in some of the southern states, how concerned are you about the recovery in Canada in terms of its dependence on the outcome in the U.S.? Well, uh, I mean, that's very important. We should not forget that the U.S. consumer is a driving force for Canada's uh, exports and Canada's uh, tourism sectors, among others. But it's also a driving force of global demand. The U.S. is the world's biggest economy, and badly performing American economy has repercussions the world over. Um, so yeah. we've been very aware of that. Uh, my hope is is that we are going to see success going forward with the U.S. containment of uh, virus. Um, but I would agree with you. If we don't see the U.S. economy recover as we expect uh, over the second half of this year and into next year, 
that plays uh, obviously a huge risk factor into the uh, in into our outlook for Canada's recovery. There just seems to be so much uncertainty about everything. I guess it's pretty tough to make the types of predictions that economists are asked to do. Well, there's some things that we have gotten finally behind us. We we know how deep this was, as we talked early on. You know, essentially in in June we were. Uh, or in the second quarter, we were operating 12% below uh, below the prior month's uh, quarter level. It's just such a huge hit. It's something that we've really never seen. And the good news, if I if I can uh, uh, remind your listeners, is that uh, we have for the next last three months seen positive gains in, uh, in terms of economic activity. So the real the worst is behind us. We're still, according to Statistics Canada, even as we look at kind of a recovery in July. We'll still be about six percent below kind of February levels, but still, it's a lot better than where we were in March and April. So uh, that's a little bit of a glimmer of silver uh, lining, if you'd like, uh, on all of the bad news. That is good news. Can I ask you just to put it in context when you say twelve percent? Oh, I think yeah. Uh, well, I, that's a good question. But I can tell you that uh, a deep recession in, in Canada would have been uh, one two percent out of GDP in, in any year. Uh, so for comparison's sake, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, an, an 8% decline uh, in 2020 as a whole. For a particular quarter, I mean, they can be quite volatile in Canada. We're still an economy that is, you know, in some ways uh, influenced by big sectors. But 12% is a record, according to StatsCan, since the, the start of the modern data that we have back to the 1960s. It's amazing. An interesting point in the report that you put out earlier this week about the recovery, which looked at consumer confidence levels on various different things. One of the questions you asked, tell me if I got this right, was about greenhouse gases. And when you asked, is now the right time to focus on reducing greenhouse gases, you had more people saying yes and and less people saying no than ever before. What do you think is behind this? Well, uh, I'm not quite sure which uh, survey um, you're referring to, but I can tell you this. I, I, I do think that uh, many Canadians are, have taken a, a kind of a breather, had a chance to reflect on what's really important. Uh, and in many ways, uh, you know, we are opening the floodgates to some major spending initiatives uh, to get us out of this, to get us out of this recession, out of this hole that we're in right now. And some of those initiatives can be, uh, you know, perhaps uh, rethought and targeted as you know, what would we like to do? What would we like our economy to look like down the road? So I, I think there are many, many issues that uh, COVID-19 has brought to, to light. Some very negative, obviously. Some impacts will be obviously long, uh, long felt and be painful for a long time. Uh, but in some respects, it's also an opportunity for us to look at, at how we do things a little bit differently. And Obviously, the first things that spring to mind are things like tele, uh, telecommuting, uh, which we've adopted very quickly and been very uh, efficient at. I think we have seen the adoption of technology in general. When you think about the logistics with respect to business supply chains, we've been uh, very creative. And you know, there were complaints about supply chains, but I, for one, saw very uh, little uh, lacking in terms of our ability to purchase uh, goods and services through this, with some exceptions, uh, toilet paper and and perhaps flour at times. Uh, but in general, uh, the supply chain has been very flexible. It's been phenomenal. Um, I, I think I think when, when we look at our ability to live comfortably, <laughs> really things have been very, very flexible, and, and uh, we, we were able to get most of what we needed through this 
was trying to get to is that, you know, essentially this is an opportunity to rethink some of the way we do things. We talked about the technology aspects. Uh, I think telehealth is another one that uh, could help uh, save us um, spending down the road and deliver healthcare more efficiently. Um, and, and I think here on in terms of the uh, environment and, uh, you know, where we want to focus infrastructure spending and other spending, uh, this is also an opportunity. And perhaps this is what's showing up in these surveys where households feel, no, we do need to address greenhouse gas emissions more wholeheartedly, and there is an opportunity to do, to do so, given that we're spending this money anyways. There's so much stuff going on right now in terms of spending and new policies that may be introduced and programs that are ending. Can you just tell me briefly what factors you're looking at most closely in the short term, meaning the next three to four months, to sort of see what happens with the economy? Well, we're going to keep a close, close eye on essentially businesses and business failures. I think that is the concern going forward. We, um, uh, you know, we have seen a lot of these support programs, again, tied to uh, households. Uh, are we going to be able to transition successfully? Is the funding to businesses going to be enough to prevent essentially a lot of business failures? And I think we are going to see business failures. You know, just today or, or this week, uh, we heard that banks uh, saw uh, pretty good profits, our chartered banks here in Canada, and that's a, a very positive thing. Uh, but they are bracing for, you know, essentially uh, losses because of business failures going forward. So, that's the big question mark. Um, I, I, I think this uh, this idea of operating in this tough environment is going to be a challenge, and that's, I think, a key factor. We're also looking very closely at consumer spending. We mentioned, or I think we discussed a little bit, that consumer spending had rebounded. But in fact, in June, household spending, I think there was a surge in household spending related to uh, some of the supporting income that was there, plus the fact that uh, there's a lot of pent-up demand, stores were starting to open. Uh, we saw a real rebound to pre-COVID levels, in fact, above February levels. Whether that, may, that holds on, I think, is really important, and it plays onto that consumer confidence that we also discussed earlier. Uh, so I think those are the factors that you know I think we need to keep an eye on. Pedro, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me about the economy with so much detail and insight. No, oh, well, thank you for uh, for the time. I appreciate that being able to share our thoughts. That was Pedro Antunes, Chief Economist of the Conference Board of Canada. Thank you so much for listening to Down to Business, and thank you to our team. Music and production by Bryce Hall, editing by Yudullah Hussein, and web support by Pamela Heaven. If you enjoyed this episode of Down to Business, share it with a friend and rate us on your podcast app. I'm Gabe Friedman, and until next week, you can find your business news at financialpost.com.